I want to invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn to the book of Revelation chapter 4, and we will get to that in just a few minutes. Also, the, the, all the passages of Scripture on the very back of your bulletin, if, uh, if, you, if you don't have one, that's totally okay. So, or if you don't have a Bible, that's totally okay. You can use the bulletin. Um, we'll get to that in a minute, actually, or in, in several minutes. Actually, we have a lot of ground to cover even before we get to that. Um, because and if, if, you're, if you're just joining us for the first time, what we've been doing is for about eight weeks, or for a, we've been in the middle of a series on the book of Revelation. And for the last eight weeks of the series, not counting last week because Ryan, my good friend Ryan Hernandez uh, gave, me a, gave me a week off, so thank you so much for that. And um, so we're, we're entering into, the series is so long, I needed to break it up into legs, and so we're entering the second leg of the series. And uh, the whole first leg of the series was basically made up of, like we're, there, there are these series of letters that show up at the beginning of the book of Revelation, and each of the letters is written to a different church in ancient Turkey. And so what we've been doing so far is we've been trying to figure out, okay, who is receiving this, and what is their life like on a day-to-day basis and what it, like what are the individual messages being sent to this group of people because before the, one of the things we have to understand about the book of revelation is before it's like the thing that inspires a bunch of books that you can buy in airports or before it's it, it becomes thank you or if it becomes before it becomes like the thing you read before you build a bunker and like buy canned goods before all of that this is a letter that was written to a group of people in first century turkey and they had a specific way of life, and they had a specific world that they lived in. And this book was, before any of the things that it became for a lot of us, before any of those things, this book was something for them. And so what we're trying to figure out is, okay, what is this thing? Who, whose mail have we been reading, essentially? And what does it continue to say as we, as we understand it now? So... We've, like I said, we've looked at sort of the individual letters, and so now as we enter the second leg of the series, we're going to begin asking questions, okay, what's the larger world? Now that we understand the smaller worlds, we're going to ask, okay, what's the larger world that this letter is being sent into? In, in what is the context in which this whole thing was born? And so that's what we're going to be looking at. So one of the things that we have to understand before anything else, we have to understand this letter was written during and like in the in the midst of the Roman Empire during a time when the when the emperor of Rome, the Caesar, believed he was God. And so one of the major things about this is you have to understand Caesar wants everyone else also to believe that he's God because it's no fun to believe you're God if nobody else believes you're God. So you have to believe. Or so so it's it's a big big deal that Caesar is Lord in the Roman Empire. Now one of the major cities at this time and one of the major cities that this letter is being written to is a city called Ephesus. Now the city of Ephesus was the easternmost city in the Roman Empire, which means it was a major trade hub between cities in the east that weren't part of the Roman Empire and all of the cities in the west which were part of the Roman Empire. And so if you live in this in this part of the or really in any part of the world and you need to buy or trade or sell from people who live in one of the in, in the other half of the world, you would have to travel to Ephesus and, and you would go to and this is a picture of a, a a giant marketplace, actually only a portion of it, but th- these are the ruins of a giant marketplace that was called the Agora. And actually, this is one portion of it because there, were, there was an upper Agora and a lower Agora. It was massive. And so if you wanted to buy or sell or trade from people from the east or the west, like silks or spices or garments or anything else, like lots of natural resources that you could only get in one part of the world or the other, then you would go into the Agora and you would meet up with people who had traveled from the other part of the world. And so the Agora is this massive trade hub for the world. 
And so, and it's, it exists in Ephesus, and Ephesus is dominated, is controlled by the Roman Empire. So part of selling and buying things in the Agora is you have to, there are certain things that you have to do before you're allowed to set up shop in the Agora. And so one of the things that you're expected to do is you have to go into basically a certain like temple area in the Agora, and you have to make an incense offering. And then you have to make an incense offering in, as a way of acknowledging that Caesar is Lord. And so you go in and you make your incense offering, and then after you make the offering, whoever witnessed you make the offering would give you like a little ink stain on your hand, like a mark. And so, um, and so you have now, now that you have the mark, you can go and you can do your business in the Agora. So there was now with this whole idea of Caesar as Lord, there was one group of people or several groups of people who weren't really going for Caesar as Lord. So if you were a Jew or a Christian during this time and place, this is a direct like assault on who you are and what you believe. And so you have these little pockets of people who aren't prepared to say that Caesar is Lord. However, if you go into the Agora and you don't get the mark, then you have major problems on your hands because you can't do, or not on your hands, I guess, because it's this mark on your hand. Anyway, um, that was a joke that just came to me that I should have just kept to myself. So... Um, so anyway, you have, um, and so now you have, you have a major dilemma on your hands. And so, in fact, one of the ways, if you, if you lived at this time, one of the ways that the Christians during the first century would refer to people, if, if you had somebody in the world who would continue to assume that they were God and they demanded that other people would, would call them a God, they would call that person a beast. Because the idea is, this person is claiming that he is God, and that person is in direct opposition to the real God, and that is, that, that is an offensive assault on, like, like the fabric of reality, essentially. And so they would refer to that person as a beast. And so the real dilemma, the language that r- rose up here among the Christians was when you go into the Agora and you need to buy and sell, do you or don't you take the mark of the beast? Like, is this, I feel like this is language we've heard before, right? So, so this was the major dilemma. So let's say, let's say that you are a seamstress living in first century Ephesus and your whole, and you have like five or six kids and your whole livelihood is built on, you go into the Agora and you buy like um, you buy fabric from the East and then you make them into garments and you sell them and that's how you feed your family. And so now all of a sudden you are, you've chosen to follow this way of Jesus. You've become a Christian. You joined this community of faith and now to go into a place and proclaim that Caesar is Lord, you, that, like, that's, that causes a real problem for you because you feel like you're betraying yourself. You feel like you're betraying like, like the very essence of what you believe. You're betraying your community of people. And so, but you have to feed your family. So what do you do? Do you or don't you take the mark? Like, because if you go into the Agora and you don't take the mark and then you try and do business with somebody, one of the first things they're going to say is, whoa, 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 where's your mark? And if you say, well, I, I don't have it, I didn't make the offering, they're going to say, well, look, I'm not going to get in trouble with Caesar. So you go back and you make your mark and then we can do business. And so you've got a real dilemma to deal with. So that's sort of the tension of what it's like to live in Ephesus or do business at this time. So let's hold on to that for a second and let's kind of rewind a little bit and ask, okay, so who is this, this person, Caesar, and why does he believe he's God? So actually this starts way, way before, because the book of Revelation was written sometime in the early 90s in, uh, in a, I'm sorry, in AD like 90 to 95. And so about 150 years prior to this, actually a little bit farther back, there was a guy named Julius Caesar. And Julius Caesar was the first of the Caesars. And you've heard of this guy. There's a play. Uh, there's a salad. There's all kinds of things. <laughs> um, 
you, you, so you've heard of Julius Caesar. So Julius Caesar was the first Caesar of Rome. And so he's the one who sort of created like this whole, like the, the, the strength and dominance of the empire. He was sort of like the founder of what it became. And so you have Julius Caesar. Now in the year 44 BC, Julius Caesar is assassinated very famously. And so for about a decade and a half, there's a little bit of uncertainty over, okay, who now gets to be the new emperor of Rome? And so one of the people who really wanted to be the emperor of Rome was Julius Caesar's adopted son, Octavian, who uh, took on the name Caesar Augustus. Now, because he's trying, because Caesar Augustus is trying really hard to basically assert, like, ultimate dominance and try and say, like, I am the rightful heir of Julius Caesar and I, I am the rightful emperor to Rome, he began to sort of be in this campaign of, I'm not just a man, I am a god on earth. And so, um, right after the death of Julius Caesar, someone witnessed a comet in the sky. Now, in the first century, or prior to the first century even, if, if someone saw something going on in the sky, we didn't have, like, telescopes and satellites. And so it wasn't like, oh, look, planets are doing things. Or, like, it, it was, like, so if you saw something in the sky, it was the gods are trying to say something. Or something is happening among the gods. And so what, so someone proclaimed, I saw a comet in the sky. The gods are trying to say something. And so Caesar Augustus takes this as a golden opportunity. And he says, oh, of course. Because that was my father, Julius Caesar, taking his rightful place among the gods. And so, in fact, he coined a phrase. And the phrase he coined was, I saw the Son of God ascend to the right hand of God the Father. <laughs> I feel like, we, again, I feel like we've heard this before. So th- this, is a, this is a phrase that Caesar Augustus coined. And by the way, Caesar Augustus was the, was the emperor of Rome when Jesus was born. And so one of the things that Caesar Augustus would say about himself constantly was that he was the son of God. In fact, there was a 12-day annual celebration of the birth of Caesar Augustus called an advent. <laughs> so, I mean, like all kinds of stuff that, that are just like, like crying out. Like, I feel like, we, like your dashboard lights should be like flashing all over the place right now. And so Caesar Augustus begins sort of this line of discussion of that Caesar is Lord. It's, he's not just a man on earth. He is a God among men. And so he began this, this, this sort of line of discussion uh, as, of the emperor as God. So Caesar, or Caesar Augustus dies and is replaced by Tiberius, I think. And so I had it written. It's one of those situations, I think, when like, you have something in your head and you're about to take a test and all of a sudden all the information goes out of it. Because I just had this moment of, I'm pretty sure it was Tiberius. If it's not Tiberius, anybody, can anybody tell me that it wasn't? I think it was. So anyway, we'll say, we'll say it was Tiberius. All right. So Tiberius replaces Caesar Augustus, and as the line goes on, every emperor sort of has his own relationship with the whole idea of that the emperor is God. Some of them like are really into it and take it really seriously and really want everybody else to take it seriously. Some of them don't really care that much. Uh, there was actually one of the Caesars was a guy named Vespasian who thought the whole thing was a little bit ridiculous. And in fact, um, right before it's it's recorded that right before Vespasian died, like minutes before his death, he said, "Oh my lord, I think I might be becoming a god." And then, like, sarcastically, and then he died. So, like, his final words were, like, sarcasm. But you got to, I mean, respect, right? Like, that's, that's great. So, um, so Vespasian thought the whole thing was absurd. Like, we're, we're not gods. We're men. I mean, we're great men, but we're, we're men. And so but, so, but some of the Caesars were like, no, 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 we are gods. And so that's sort of, depending on who was in charge, like, the, the, the temperature of this whole thing would go up and down. And then eventually, around the year 81, the Caesar, the emperor became... Domi- or Dom- uh, a guy named Domitian became Caesar. And Domitian, more than anybody who ever came before him, even more than Caesar Augustus, you could argue, was really, really, really into I am a god. And Domitian, I don't like to... 
I try really hard not to like be super judgmental of people like historical figures because you don't know. Like I mean, I feel like we're, we're probably missing a lot of information. And it's very difficult to just like judge. But this guy was straight up evil. Like this guy, this guy had all kinds of like super violent, super dark. Like um, in, in fact, one of the one of the things about him that continues to come up is like he 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 demanded that his wife refer to him as my lord and my god. So we love this guy already, right? So he he demanded his wife refer to him as my lord and my god. He had there was a choir of people. He would he, anywhere he would travel, he would travel with a choir of 24 singers. And they had all and what they would do is they would sing songs about how great he was. This is something we've all wanted for ourselves, right? <laughs> Like just constant pep talks. There were poets. There were poets he had on the payroll whose job, whose only job it was to write write poetry and songs about how great he was. And then the singers on the choir would like sing these songs about Caesar or um, about Domitian. And one of the songs that they would constantly sing was, um, "You are worthy." of honor and glory and power. And they would continue to repeat this refrain. Oh, Domitian, you are worthy of honor and glory and power. So everywhere he would go, he's got like this choir of people who sings to him. Um, he had a bit of a violent streak. He was, uh, there was one of, one of the priests in his own faith, like who like was in charge of like emperor worship offended him. And so to teach everybody else a lesson, he buried her alive. There was, uh, there was another time when there was a revolt and not only did Domitian kill everybody who was involved in the revolt, he then invited all kinds of ambassadors and um, diplomats into his palace, into Caesar's palace. Sorry, that was a, that was a dad joke. That's the worst dad joke I've ever made. So um, it was worse than the one I made before. Um, I'm having a rough one. So, uh, so he invites all these, all these dignitaries and diplomats into his palace for a banquet, and he sets all of the places at the banquet table with the tombstones of all of the diplomats who are going to be sitting at the table. And so you would, go, you would come into this palace to have a meal with, with Caesar, and you would sit down at the table, and you would have the whole meal staring at your own tombstone. And this is, this is Domitian's like not-so-subtle way of saying, like, this is what happens when you cross me. This is what happens when I, when I am displeased with you. And so, so, this is, like, so again, super violent streak and again going back to like and he really really wanted people to believe that he was a god in fact i don't know if you if you can see it but um in the photograph i don't know all these guys each of these guys has, has a right hand raised which is like a sign of power domitian in 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 contrast to julius caesar and caesar augustus the statue of domitian is holding a scroll in his right hand i don't know if you can see it the scroll this is actually a really symbolic kind of thing because the belief was or the, the teaching was that at every time a Caesar died, he would ascend and take his rightful place among the gods. And then once among the gods, the Caesar would be given a new name, a divine name. And so, but the divine names of all of the previous Caesars was secret. And the idea was that the scroll possessed the names, the, divine, the secret divine names of each of the Caesars. And so the idea of Domitian holding the scroll, this is symbolic of saying like only Domitian is worthy to open the scroll and read the divine names of all of the previous Caesars. So the, the, the presence of the scroll is about power and it's about godship. Okay, so just like so, even even in the statue, even just the presence of something very simple like a scroll, this is about godness and power. And so, um, trying to make sure I get everything because there's so much. I mean, there's so much stuff that I, we don't even have time to get to. Uh, he, oh, he inaugurated a series of games. Uh, they were like a, kind of like mini Olympic games that he called, of course, Domitian Games. And um, and so he loved, by the way, his, his favorite event, supposedly his favorite event in the Domitian Games was a horse race. And each horse was of a different color with four horses. So like, right. I mean, we're, we're, we're coming up on all kinds of things that sound a little bit familiar. So uh, but one of the things that would happen at the beginning of the Domitian Games, like to inaugurate the games, 
he would have all of like the 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 leaders of the local of all of the 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 territories that Rome had occupied he would have each of the leaders come forward and give him a report and at the end of the report Domitian would say to the, each leader I have this for you I have this against you and if you don't fix the things that I have against you I will come and I will snuff you out so we just got done reading seven different letters to seven different churches and how are those letters structured I have this for you and I have this against you, and this is why you need to fix this thing. So a lot of what we find in the book of Revelation, even very subtly, are like these little things that sort of remind you that this is subverting some other system. All right? So, so the first thing is, like, he would say this, and then after that, there would be the worship portion of the, of the event. So you have these people in this giant stadium, like thousands of people, and then you would have, to, to lead the worship portion, you would have 24, Domitian had 24 priests who were all dressed in white, and each priest wore a crown of gold, and on the crown of gold was an inscription with the name of Domitian on it. And these 24 priests with the white robes and the, and the crowns of gold would come forward and they would lead songs of worship for Domitian. Like, and so you, among thousands and thousands of people, would worship Domitian with these songs. In fact, um, I had to write it down because one of them was kind of long. But uh, one, one, like one of the things that they would chant was to Domitian. They would say, great are you, Lord and God. Worthy are you to receive power and honor and glory. Worthy are you, Lord of the earth, to inherit the kingdom. Lord of Lord, highest of highs, Lord God and Savior for eternity. So this guy had no problem with self-esteem at all. He, so this is, this is Domitian's world. This is, this is life in Domitian's empire. Now, if you want people to believe you're a God, you, you're going to need to know this because we've all been there. If you want people to believe you're a God, you, you're going to need to have a headquarters. This is like self-divinity 101. So you need, you need a headquarters if you want people to all worship you as a God. The city that Domitian chose as his headquarters was Ephesus because, again, Ephesus is a major city that people have to travel to all the time. So it's very advantageous. So Domitian sets up what, – essentially what he does is he builds a palace – or I'm sorry, not a palace, a um, – a temple and a platform in the city of Ephesus. And on the platform, this is just part of the ruins of it. I don't know if you can see, but see, but there are these columns. There are two columns in the photo. There were actually 24 total in the original structure. And each of the 24 columns uh, had a statue um, like chiseled into it. And each statue was one of the 24 gods and goddesses of the Greek Roman pantheon. And so you had these 24 gods and goddesses all etched into the pillars. And then on top of the pillars, you had this massive platform. And then on top of the platform, there was a 27 foot tall statue of Domitian, which, I mean, and this is a world where everybody communicates things with pictures and images. And like, if, so if you are, let's say you're, you're sailing into Ephesus to trade and you are about to dock in the port and the first thing you see is like this massive platform being held up by the gods and goddesses and on top of the platform stands this 27 foot tall of foot uh, 27 foot tall statue of Domitian what's the message the message is I stand on the backs of the gods. I am ruler of both heaven and earth. So this is what Domitian is trying to say. And so this is so this is like the first thing you see when you sail into the city of Ephesus. Not only that, if you throughout the city of Ephesus there were these altars that Domitian had set up and they were altars that people would go to and worship him and so anytime Domitian would come to the city he would parade through the city and he would stop at each of these altars and every time he would stop at the altar people would like swarm to the altar like you would follow the parade route and everybody would go to each altar and then you would bow down and you would worship and you would sing songs like worthy are you to receive glory and honor and power so these this is what it was like and so by the way 
I think we can all guess what happens if you don't show up at the altars and you don't bow down when you get there. This is, you die. I mean, there's no, there's absolutely no question. Like Domitian is not going to stand for anybody not, not taking this really, really seriously. However, there was this one group of people in this part of the world who refused to bow down. Can I get an amen? And so that's, um, I almost never say that, but because it sounds so unnatural, but I was like, that, that needs that. So, um, so, so there's this one pocket of people who refuse to bow down, and it's driving Domitian crazy. And no matter who he puts in jail, no matter who he kills, this group of people will not relent. And so one of the things, in fact, there's, there's several document, documents and sources that kind of allude to the possibility that Domitian decided, like, one of the ways I can shut this group of people down is I can identify who their leader is. And if I can find their leader, I can have him arrested, and I can get rid of him. And then at that point, the whole movement will dissolve. And so eventually... Uh, allegedly, one of the things that happened was he found this leader and either exiled him to an island called Patmos or the leader got wind of it and he, this pastor, and he ran off to the island of Patmos. Either way, he ends up on this island called Patmos. This guy's name is John. And then once he got to this island, he wrote a letter back to his people. And as it turns out, we have a copy of that letter. So, um... It's, it's, what, it's what we've been reading. So um, in case you're like, what letter? So, so now with this understanding, now understanding all of these things, now understanding the whole world of Domitian and how everything is, is put together, let's now take a look at Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. We're going to read all of it, so it's a lot, but we're going to look at it. And now look at it not from like 21st century eyes of like, I wonder, like, what, I wonder what crazy movie m- might be made of these images. Look at it like, okay, if I lived in this world, if I had been to the Domitian games and I lived in Ephesus and I saw these statues and this, this whole giant structure that demanded that, or, or that continued to insist that Domitian is Lord of heaven and earth, and I got something like this in the mail, what would it say to me? And so let's take a look at this and let's see like, okay, maybe all of a sudden some of this weird imagery, it's going to start making sense. And some of it still might not. And we're going to, as we continue going through the series, we'll, we'll get to some more of this image imagery. But what, I, what we're really looking for now is what's the large thing? Like if you read the whole thing together and you live in this world, what would this mean to you? So look at um, Revelation chapter four. It says, after, I, after this, and this, by the way, is right after all of the letters. So this is right after he goes through the whole, like, hot, cold, lukewarm business. So now he says, so now he's talking to everybody. And he says, after this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here. I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. Now, the only throne that anybody here knows is the one that Domitian sits on. So already you've got everybody's attention. There's a throne and there's someone sitting on it. And then in verse three, it says, and the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Ruby and the rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Where have we seen this image before? These 24 elders with robes of white and crowns of gold. This is like straight out of the Domitian games. So in verse five, it says, from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. We've talked before about how the image of seven lamps in the book of Revelation is about these seven churches that he's writing to. So, and it says, then the seven spirits of, these are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, 
There was what looked like a sea of glass clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, which is a repeat of an old Jewish prophetic poem from Isaiah. And then it says... Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sit on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sit on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. What does this sound like? Does it sound anything like what all these choirs are singing about Domitian? It says, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. This is straight up treason. Like, like this, this could get, hold, holding a copy of this could get somebody killed in the first century. So now it keeps going. Look at chapter 5. It says, then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Which everybody in this world knows, well, like, Domitian is the only one worthy to open the seal. And it says, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, which by the way are two different images that are both used to describe Jesus. And it says, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, which is another image for Jesus. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. Why do, why do we need a new song? Because all the old songs are about Domitian. And so now it's time for a new song. It says, so the new song is, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your body, your, and with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And so it says, you were slain. The implication being like, somebody killed you. Who did that? Oh, it was Caesar. So again, like super, super subversive kind of stuff. So the one who Caesar killed is actually the one who's, who is only worthy to open, like the one, all the stuff that Domitian is saying about him, we're actually talking about this guy that Caesar killed. And so it says, you have made them, I'm sorry, you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice, which by the way, thousands and thousands of people circling a throne, that sounds a lot like the Domitian games. And so you have this image and it says, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped the whole thing is about Domitian isn't on the throne. I have seen the throne of the universe and Domitian isn't on it. I would imagine the people who heard this first wept. 
Because if you live in this world where every time you walk out of your house, you see a giant platform of Domitian standing on the gods. And every time you walk to work, every time you go into the marketplace, there's a question of you have to worship Domitian just to do business here. And everywhere you go, there's a reminder that Domitian is in charge. And then all of a sudden, someone sends you this and says, by the way, I have seen the throne of the universe and Domitian isn't on it. This is beautiful, subversive, treasonous language in this time. This is the most hopeful, like, confrontational thing that this guy could have possibly sent to this group of people. Again, to us, if we read this and we have no idea what any of this stuff is, it just sounds like weird like imagery and we, we can't really connect to it. The people who first heard it, this is exactly what they needed to hear, exactly when they needed to hear it. So now the question becomes, okay, now 2,000 years later, as we sit here and we talk about it, what does this mean to anybody here? Like, why, why does this matter to us at all? Well, it's because there are still domitions all over the place. There are still, like, forces that will say to you, you are not good enough, and the person that God created you to be is not enough. And we talked about before, like, essentially, what, the, what a domission is, and we can expand the idea of a domission to be anything, any sort of thing that stops you from being who God created you to be. You were created with a God-given identity, and a domission is anything that stops you from pursuing that journey for yourself and for the people around you. So, for us, it's the, the thing that terrorizes me, the thing my fear doesn't sit on the throne, or, the, like, we talked several weeks ago about, like, we, the accuser and, like, what it means to believe the lies about ourselves. The lies about you don't sit on the throne. The thing, the thing that you are most anxious about doesn't sit on the throne. The things that people say about you don't sit on the throne. The, the grief and the pain and the sorrow that you felt, that is not the final word that will be said about you. So individually, we have, like, we can sort of respond to this in our own sort of way because we each have a domission of our own. We each have a thing that sort of presses down on us and continues to insist that, that we are not beloved by God, that we, are not, uh, that we do not have a God-created identity, that we are less than we truly are. And so what this, what this writer continues to, to insist is, no, 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 I've seen the throne of the universe and domission isn't on it. So there are all kinds of individual implications. What is, what is your domission? What is the thing that pulls you away from your God-given identity? What is the thing that makes you less than what you were always meant to be? So, but there are also like these massive, I would argue, collective um, implications as well. Like as a church, as a pastor, this is something that continues to sort of ring in my ear because at, like there are certain points where this is, I mean, I've mentioned before, there are certain points where this is really difficult. And to be this kind of church in this part of the world and to, um, and, and to try and, or to be any kind of church, to just be a church and to try and move forward and to do the thing that we feel called to do, a lot of times it's really, really difficult because sometimes there's not enough money and sometimes there's, uh, we're, you know, we don't have enough help in certain areas or a lot of times it's just like it, it, feels, it feels like there's criticism or, or, or whatever it is and it can feel very, very difficult and the easiest choice would be to say like maybe, maybe it's time to just pack it in and I think that's, that's the voice of Domitian and I think the, the challenge here is like, no, 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 you were created to do something important. We were created to be a part of something that's much bigger than ourselves. And every time we wake up and we continue to keep going, that's us saying that Domitian does not get the last word. That whatever the Domitian is does not win. And so, um, 
like, for example, there was another church, and I wish we had more time to just talk about this one group of people. There's another church in a city called Cappadocia, and or the, the whole city, by the way, of Cappadocia is really, really interesting. It was also in uh, in ancient Turkey, and. The thing that makes Cappadocia really interesting is it was, a, it was a city that was mostly underground. And so you had like this series of, of caves and tunnels that basically made up the whole city. And so you had this group of people who were Jesus followers in the middle of the Roman Empire and how they basically eluded like capture, arrest, or like murder was they built this series of tunnels and a lot of the tunnels just ended up like with dead ends. And then like some of the tunnels actually ended up going down into wherever it is that they were actually meeting. And so... I, I would imagine, like, if, if someone who was part of that community could say something to me today, it would be like, oh, you get to do this above ground? Like, that's really exciting. And, like, so so the things that are difficult, like, we are not the first ones to, to come across adversity. We're not the first ones for something to be difficult. Um, we come from a long line of people who had a domission that they had to deal with. We come from a long line of uh, of people trying to insist that Caesar is Lord. And so... We, are, we believe that we're a part of something that matters. We, we believe that we're a part of this ongoing conversation, and we have to keep going. And so as a church, like, this, this is one of the most encouraging passages in the Scriptures because it continues to insist that Domitian is not on the throne. And so I don't know what your individual Domitian is. I don't know what it means for you to, to be faced with something that makes you feel less than what you are, for the, to be faced with something that makes you feel like, I don't have a God-created identity, I am not loved, there is nothing redeemable or good about me. I don't know what it looks like for you to face that, but that is a lie about you. And the writer of this book continues to insist that there is a throne in the universe and Domitian isn't on it. So whatever that is, may you pursue your God-created identity. And may you remember that the final word that is spoken here is one of grace and hope and love. And that you were created for something beautiful. And so... Whatever your domission is, may you silence that voice and may you hear the voice of a God who continues to insist that you are more than that. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for reminding us in these big, beautiful, poetic ways that there is more going on than we will ever imagine. And that when we feel pressed down upon, when we feel like things are difficult, when we feel like whatever it is that our domission, whatever represents that for us, May we, may we silence that voice and may we pursue our God-created identity. May we remember our brothers and sisters from thousands of years ago who had to live in this reality and may we press forward as, um, as people who have inherited that story and that tradition. Uh, for those of us who need a dark voice silenced, may, may we experience that. May we, may we hear the voice of you. May we, may we hear your voice. May we experience something beautiful and true. And may we remember that Domitian is not on the throne. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here. There are offering boxes in the back or online if you want to give. Thank you. <laughs> Grace and peace be with you.